Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. It reminds me of a person in Israel one time who told me that how on a tour he was on with an unbelieving tour guide who was taking a busload of believers around Israel and how the believers on that bus, he said like almost every believer on the bus made it their business to try to convert this unbelieving Jewish tour guide. He said, the tour guide was like, okay, here we go again. All right. And they said that every time the poor guy sat down just to eat his sandwich for lunch, there would come a believer that's going to win unto the Lord. And he had no interest in the Lord at all. He was teaching about it, but he had no interest. And so it's just so interesting to see this interaction of the Jews and the Magi and these opening verses here in in Matthew 2. It's like the Gentiles and the Jews. I mean, another way to look at it is to see how the Gentiles and the Jews are actually helping each other. Because the Gentile Magi, they knew the time of the birth of the Messiah. And the Jewish priests knew the place of the Messiah. Now, can't, can't you just picture how nice it would have been if it was? The Magi would have said, we saw his star. And then it would have been nice if the Jews have said, well, we know where he's going to be born. And you met those two together, and the interchange would have been beautiful of what they each knew and how they helped each other, and they went together. That would be wonderful. Yeah, they went together to Bethlehem. But it's this interchange that's the point here. The interchange of what each person knows because it's this interchange of what each person knows that increases knowledge. And this is what makes the breaking of bread service such a great service that we just had because this person shares what he's found in the scriptures and that person shares what he's found in the scriptures and then the hymn shares, the hymn writer shares what he's found It's like each party, when you go into hymns or person to person, you're running back and forth, to and fro. And the end result is that knowledge is increased. You know, that's a great thing about the breaking of bread is that I don't hear myself. I sometimes do, but I shouldn't, you know. But anyway, because I love to hear what other people have to say, which is exactly what God said would happen in Daniel 12.4. Daniel 12.4, God spoke to Daniel in Daniel 12.4. He said, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even till the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And hopefully this morning, something that I said will spark your curiosity in the Scriptures, and as a result, you'll see something new in the Bible and that I didn't see. And so together, this running to and fro, many shall run to and fro, and, and knowledge shall be increased. The Gentiles, they know something. They know the time. And the Jews, they know something. They know the place. And this was all designed by God, that the Gentiles and the Jews, they need each other. And that's why Romans 11.11 11 is so important. Romans 11.11, 11, which says, I say then, 
have the Jews stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So the Gentiles need the Jews to see how God fulfills his promises as the Jews are a visual evidence that God does save Jews, and also they're a visual evidence of the link between the Old and New Testaments, that they're really one book. And the Jews need the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy, to come to God, which is why I tell new Jewish believers, like not that there are so many new Jewish believers, but anyway, the one or two that come every 15 years. But I always tell them, I say, don't go to a Messianic synagogue that's made up primarily of Jewish believers. Don't do that. Go to a church with Gentile believers. Why? Because Gentile believers need Jewish believers to see God's grace extended to the Jews, and Jewish believers need Gentile believers to see God's grace extended to the Gentile world. What happens here is that when the Jewish leaders there are called by Herod, that they actually quote a scripture, which is Malachi 2.6. They quote the scripture. They're relying on it for what they're saying, which is the way it should be. When it says in Matthew 2.6, Matthew 2.6, Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. The way the scripture is given in Malachi and the way that it's quoted here in Matthew, the wording is almost like a question, like a I don't want to say taunt, but it's like a question, something like, Bethlehem, are you too small to be counted as one of the thousands of towns in Israel? And here in Matthew, he's using the word princess, princes, instead of towns, cities. Because Micah uses the word towns, but Matthew calls them princes, so he's personifying them. He's personifying the cities. And he says, are you so small? You know, this is kind of what's going on here. There's this question, Bethlehem, oh, Bethlehem, are you too small? And so he said, out of you will come a governor. Now, these are the very words that terrorized Herod. A rival was coming. And we've seen that what was particularly important to see about Bethlehem is how insignificant it was. Are you so small? You're not even really counted among the thousands, are you? but yet how significant they will become. And this is the whole point about Bethlehem. This is the whole point about the Lord Jesus. When he's born, he's, he's hidden, he's remote, he's, he's disowned. How insignificant he is, just like the town of Bethlehem. But the Lord Jesus is going to be seen to be God. He's going to become supremely significant. And the same is true of Bethlehem, when it's going to have this reputation of the birthplace of the king. Now, as soon as Herod hears the scripture, he swings into action in verse 7. Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So Herod is showing particular interest in the time. The time. What time? What time was it? Exactly what time was the star appearing? This is because Herod is assuming that the time of the star's appearance was the time that the child was born. He's dead wrong on this. But he's calculating to know how old the child was to be sure that he murders the right child. Now, actually, both the Magi and the Herod made this wrong assumption. They made the assumption that the star appeared when the Messiah was born. But this wasn't true at all, because the Magi are going to find the child baby. And that meant that the star appeared two years earlier to the Magi, before the Messiah was born. By the way, it wasn't like Herod never thought of this possibility 
So he covered himself because when he gave the order to murder all the babies, he said, you kill all the babies from two years old and less, just in case, you know. But what's interesting about this is, is how God got the Magi on the road in their journey two years before the Lord was born. So they would be there just at the right time following the birth of the Lord. And that was like perfect timing, perfect timing for God. God really knows what he's doing. It's interesting about this, how God works in the lives of the Magi with the star long before they reach the Lord Jesus. And this is what God does in the lost. He works in their lives long before they come to the Lord Jesus. So when we bring the gospel to the lost, don't think that we are the only God influence in their lives. Just like the appearance of the star, we're just one of the chain of events, one of the links in the chain of events that leads to the Lord Jesus Okay, now, Herod, he's reigned now for 35 years. There's evidence to show that this wasn't his first rule. So he's probably, a, he's probably a pretty old guy. He's probably 60 years old. And this king was just newborn. And so, but he's paranoid over a baby that's going to rival him when he, maybe he's 80 plus years old. So it's essential for Herod to have this newborn king killed. And Herod, he's not going to rest until there's blood spilled of this newborn king. So notice how sly he is in verse 7. It says, then, careful, then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired for them diligently what time the star appeared. So he privately calls them together. Why? He doesn't want it to be openly known that he was interested in this newborn Messiah king. I mean, he has a plan to murder him, and that might be dangerous if that comes out, if this is known that he has this interest. So he keeps this highly secret meeting with the Magi, and then he lets them in on a great secret. And the great secret is, says, I'm actually a worshiper of the Lord also. I'm a worshiper. I'm a secret worshiper of the king of the Jews, which, of course, is a lie. And he appears so sincere to the Magi. He says, you've got to help me so I can come and worship him too. So we see Herod, he's so diligent in what he's doing here. It's kind of interesting that when you see the hatred of the world to the Lord Jesus, it only confirms that the Lord Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Lord of Lords. We see how the Lord Jesus in the Magi, the Lord Jesus is their hope. He's the hope of the saved. In Herod, the lost, he's the terror. So the same person is the hope and the terror. It just depends on which side you stand on. I mean, here's the Lord Jesus. He's in a manger cradle in a barn. And he's the terror of a tyrannical king on his throne in a palace. So now Herod, he seems to bring these magi into his confidence that he's a secret believer. In verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And they're fooled. They're tricked. The magi are fooled by Herod, and they're just happy to be able to go serve Herod, and they're looking forward to when they can come back and they can say, okay, you can, here he is, he's over here, go worship him too. It was wonderful. They're thinking Herod is their brother in the Lord because that's how he's making himself out to be. And so he tells them that he's very interested and he commissions them. Now, you would have thought that if Herod was firing on all, all cylinders in his mind, that Herod would have kept himself covered and he would have said, he would have commissioned some spies, go follow those people. Follow them, and you tell me exactly where they go. That would have been smart, but Herod made a vital error here. That was a vital error that he made. Why? Because God didn't allow him to do that. God didn't allow him to follow the better plan. 
And maybe he had counselors. Maybe Herod had counselors who were telling him, yeah, that's all good, but send some spies also. It's only five miles away so that they can just confirm where he's going. And so when you see this, that was the obvious thing that Herod should have done. And you see him not doing that, and maybe he had counselors that were telling him to do it. Then it brings to light a verse in Job 12.7, Job 12.7, which says that God leads counselors away spoiled and makes judges fools. So Herod tells the Magi in verse 8, he says, search diligently, and he's very agitated, and bring him word. We see the hypocrisy. Bring him word so he can come and worship. It's kind of like the Nazis celebrating uh, Christmas as they're killing Jews. Hypocrisy going on. And then in verse 9, it says that the star went before the Magi. Now, even when the Magi were surrounded by all this religious hypocrisy and by something that they might have thought, probably thought, should have thought, that something doesn't smell right about this Herod tyrant, still, in the midst of all this, this is disturbing, this hypocrisy and everything's disturbing that's surrounding them in the city, which they assumed was going to be, oh, come, let us adore him, city. But it's not. And so it's very, very hard for these magi. So even though when they're surrounded by that, all of a sudden, the star reappears. And they're just so happy to see that star. Finally, some light in the darkness. In Isaiah 9-2, in Isaiah 9-2, they could say to themselves, we are the people that walked in darkness, have seen a great light. And they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And John 1-5 applies to the Magi. John 1-5, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness, the darkness could not extinguish it. So the Magi, when they're in Jerusalem, they must have been so disappointed, so frustrated by what they found and all this religious hypocrisy around them. And when they saw the star, they just rejoiced because they said, in spite of all the obstacles of our way to the king, God continues to direct us. And that's like us. With many discouragements we face in life, many obstacles, we're on our way to the Savior each day, but we got a lot of obstacles, a lot of discouragements. Well, when we take the time to open the Bible, the light shines through. The light shines through all the darkness, all the gloom. We're like the Magi, and we just rejoice because God has continued with his light that leads to the King. And so now, finally, the Magi arrive in verse 11. When they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened up their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we're told that the Magi, first of all, they come into the house, not the stable or the barn, but they come into the house. What happened? Well, we don't know, but we can only assume that what happened was that the shepherds first came after the Lord was born to see the baby. In all probability, the shepherds probably said, what are you doing here? in a barn. And they said, I got a house. Come to my house. So it's likely that soon after the Lord was born that the family then moved into one of the shepherd's homes. And they remained there until the eighth day when they had to make the five-mile trip back to Jerusalem for the Lord to be circumcised, circumcised on the eighth day. Now, it was probable that while they were in Jerusalem for the circumcision that Joseph had the dream in which the angel appeared to Joseph and said, don't go back, don't go back, don't go back. Don't go to Nazareth, don't go to Bethlehem, go down, way down to Egypt. And so it's probably before this eighth day after his birth that the Magi reached the Lord in the shepherd's home and they come to worship him, they come to present their gifts. 
Because there's no evidence that Mary and Joseph, you know, looked around and said, ah, Bethlehem's a nice place. Why don't we just live here? And there's no evidence for that. They just went there to be tacked, and they had every intention of the birth and the circumcision and all that done, that they would go back home to Nazareth. Assuming that this is the sequence of events, that the Lord was born in the manger and immediately visited by the shepherds and then moved into one of the shepherds' homes and then visited by the Magi, then went to Jerusalem for the eight-day circumcision and then departed for Egypt, if all that was the sequence, that means that the Lord was brought as a baby right into the city of Jerusalem where the bloodthirsty Herod was there in Jerusalem trying to find this baby to murder him. So when the Lord Jesus is brought into the temple on the eighth day for a circumcision, there's this certain man that appears named Simeon, and he knew who the Lord was. And he said in Luke 2.25, Luke 2.25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Luke 2.34, Luke. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. So here's Simeon. He's in the temple saying on this eighth-day on this eight-day-old baby, that he's the Messiah. And wouldn't Herod in Jerusalem love to have been told that of what Simeon had just said? So it's just amazing that the Lord is brought back from Bethlehem right under the nose of Herod, who's searching to kill him. And it shows how God is able to protect, whether in Jerusalem with a murderous tyrant or in a lion's den with hungry lions. God protects And now we're told what the Magi did when they found the Lord in verse 11. In verse 11, when it says, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they'd opened their gifts, opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we're told that the first thing that they did when they saw the baby was to fall down and worship him. This was their priority. This is what they came to do. They came to worship the king of the Jews, the Lord Jesus. And this is what they told everyone that they had come when they were in Jerusalem in verse 2. Verse 2, we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. I mean, they didn't come first to give him gifts or to do some service for him. They came first to worship the Lord. That's so instructive for us. The Magi instruct us. They help us with their example because we get so caught up with everything else except worship. Worship is not the first priority for us, and that's a problem. That's why the Magi help us to see how important worship is. It's got to be our first priority. I mean, we come to the Lord and we think, okay, first thing I got to do is I got to read and study my Bible. No, the first priority is to worship the Lord Jesus like the Magi. Or we come to the Lord and we say, okay, first thing I need to do, I need to serve the Lord. I'm going to show up there at that work day at church. That's what I'm going to do. No, the first priority is to worship the Lord Jesus like the Magi. Or we come to the Lord and we say, oh, the first thing I need to do, I need to give. I need to give $100 million. No, first priority is to worship. So the Magi said in verse 2 that they had come to worship the Lord. And that's what they did when they found the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. That's why the breaking of bread service every Sunday is so important because it's the service that's totally dedicated to one purpose. Worship the Lord for becoming the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And that's the reason why the breaking of bread service here is called the worship service. 
as opposed to the Sunday school class and the one that follows the preaching service. But just as worship was the highest priority for the Magi, really the breaking of bread, the worship service is the most important service on Sunday. Now, notice what it says in verse 11. It says, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. That's a very important structure there. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Let me rephrase it and tell you what the verse is not saying. The verse is not saying they saw Mary, his mother, with the young child, and fell down and worshiped her. Their focus was on the Lord Jesus, not on Mary. And verse 11 states that they saw the Lord and they worshiped the Lord. I've been in churches where it's all Mary, Mary, Mary. Over the front door, there's Mary. On the ceilings, there's Mary. On the statues, there's Mary. And I was recently in one of those churches, and I was walking around, and I said, well, where's the Lord Jesus? I see Mary everywhere. Where's the Lord Jesus? Oh, he's the one up there nailed to the cross, that hanging limp body up there. Because Mary has the preeminence in the church. It's an overexaltation of Mary. It's horrible abuse. It would make Mary protest. She would go into a church like that and she'd say, what are you doing? And it's totally against what the Bible teaches. Mary has been put way over. So that's why it's important the way it's worded. Then after they had worshiped the Lord, we read in verse 11 that they opened their treasures and they presented three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, which represents wealth, like a royalty that you'd give to a king. Frankincense, it has a, a bitter taste, but it is very, very aromatic was used in the sacrifices, was used in the sacrifices. So frankincense speaks of a sacrificial suffering. And myrrh, myrrh was used to cover dead bodies. Myrrh speaks of death. It speaks of death. So altogether, when you have these three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, they carry a message. They carry a message. The gold, the king of the Jews. The frankincense, that he would suffer. The myrrh, that he would die. So you put these three gifts together, and the complete message that you get from them is that the king of the Jews would suffer and die. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. You look at these at Magi, we've compared the Magi to Herod, we've compared the Magi to the religious leaders, now we compare the Magi to us. So when we do that comparison of the Magi to us, we can see that the Magi only had a star. We have the scriptures. The Magi only saw the Lord Jesus as a babe and worshiped him. We see the whole of the Lord's life and his death and his resurrection. The Magi had to take a long two-year journey to get to the Lord. We barely have to take a step to get to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for how you took total control of these circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for these Magi that you, Lord, led them and guided them And thank you, Lord, for their example to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.